We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. I love what I feel here today. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. It says this, and you, you know the scripture. And they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and from the rising of the sun, his glory. And when the enemy, the adversary, he shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Jehovah, will raise up a standard against him. That word standard is where we get the word banner or a flag that is flown high. When the enemy comes against you, the Spirit of the Lord is going to raise up a standard against the enemy. I, I, I believe that God is speaking to someone already today. And I want to preach on this topic. The power of an elevated standard. The power of an elevated standard. God is about to take care of some situations in here today. God's about to give somebody encouragement. God is about to restore joy. If you believe that He's about to do something great, would you put both hands in the air? Would you lift your voice and would you pray with me one more time? God, in this room at Truth Chapel, I'm speaking that, Lord, you're going to continue to do great things. God, this is a church in revival. This is a church, God, that has done many great things and seen you do so many amazing things. But I proclaim in the name of Jesus, you're not finished yet. In fact, God, you're just getting started here today. And Lord, the enemy would want to destroy and uproot and ruin, God, what your plan is. But God, your spirit is going to raise up a standard in some families here today. God, your spirit is going to raise up a standard in an individual's life today. And Lord, what the enemy is trying to do, the destruction that he's trying to bring, in the name of Jesus, we speak against that. And God, we proclaim victory. We, we proclaim power, God. We speak that. Would you begin to speak that over your family right now? God, I'm leaving this room victorious. God, I speak it in the name of Jesus. Come on. If you believe it, would you lift your voice one more time? Would you put your hands together and would you give God praise in this room? Woo. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for your worship. The power of an elevated standard. We are living in an era of low standards. Amen, somebody. The post-pandemic world is one that has produced a society that is willing to settle for less. In fact, studies have shown that since COVID-19 and the economic repercussions of shutdowns, that there has been a cause of worldwide decline in the standard of living. Many people have taken a step down and are living in smaller homes and living on smaller budgets than ever before. As well, what we understand is that it wasn't just the standard of living that dropped based on the pandemic, but in the world that we live in currently, the standard of education has drastically lowered as teachers have been placed under unrealistic expectations and distance education procedures ended up putting many students a year behind. I, I read something that was pretty astounding, and I want you to lean in and hear this because, uh, I don't know, I guess I just want to discourage you, so forgive me for that. But that is that in 
subjects such as math and science, and actually in every subject, but especially in the technical ones, there has been a 20 to 25% drop in their performance in our students since the, since the pandemic took place. The standard has been lowered. And, and I look and I see this and I think, man, that is, that's disappointing to live in an era and in a culture whose standards have dropped so low. And yet there is one standard that I personally have noticed that seems to have dropped more drastically and, and frustrates me more than any other standard that I have seen drop. And, and, and I got a feeling you're going to be with me on this. And I know it's a little bit trivial, but I'm just going to pose it in a question. And, and I think I'm probably going to get an amen. And he, here's how I'm going to ask the question about this low standard. What has happened to customer service? See, I knew I had somebody with me right there. Come on, what has happened to customer service? If I got a man, somebody got the Holy Ghost right there. I could have had an altar call. You've walked in the same restaurants I've walked into, huh? You, you've sat on the same call lines that I've sat on, apparently. And so I, I felt like this was just becoming frustrating. And, and, and so I thought, well, maybe it's just me. But would you believe that a, a quick search turned up dozens and dozens of, of articles in popular publications that address the issue of poor customer service in the post-pandemic world, whether it be uh, restaurant services being limited, uh, limited call hours and call centers, and, and, and all of the things that we're facing, even, even the Amazon guy is coming a little bit later than he used to, and, and you know is tribulation if that's the case. But I started looking and I wondered what it was, and would you believe that virtually every business had the exact same excuse, and it was this, COVID did it, COVID did it. In fact, let me just read some of the article titles. I won't read the articles. I'll just read the titles, and I think you'll feel a lot better like I felt a lot better. Here they are. Stop with the COVID excuses already. Customers have caught on. Bloomberg. <laughs> Customers are fed up with COVID excuses for bad service. The BBC. Why COVID is no longer an excuse for bad service. Raconteur and Inc.com. COVID-19. The new excuse for poor customer service, TripAdvisor. Excuses are for losers, says Rod, says Rod Robertson. You thought I said it. I was just quoting this man, okay? Y'all like, man, he's just mean. This man is mean. Says Rod Robertson, author of the book Winning at Entrepreneurship. In his interview with Bloomberg, Robertson went on to say that customers are now savvy to the COVID excuses and it's just bad messaging at this point. You see, his company advises over 100 firms across the world. And he actively warns them that they must prioritize doing over excusing if they want to thrive in this current culture. You see, the cost of lowering their standards could literally mean the end of their businesses. However, many economists are making this claim as well. That those who will raise their standards despite the lowered cultural standards will thrive in our current culture. Can I just tell you I'm using a natural point to make a spiritual point. And that is in the day and age that we live, it is time for the church to raise its standard higher than it has ever been. I believe that there's a world that has been left empty 
for long enough. I believe that they're fed up with religion. I believe that they've walked into enough dead and dry churches. When they walk into a place like this though, they feel and they see that there is a raised standard of worship. That when we show up, we don't have low expectations, but we actually believe that God will do what he said he will do. And any miracle that he has ever performed before, he is still able to do that. Can I tell you Truth Chapel, when I stepped onto the property today, I could see that there was a power in an elevated standard at this church. There were some people that walked in with some expectation that said, hey, God's still a healer. God's still a way maker. God can still break chains of addiction. We didn't show up just for run-of-the-mill religion. We didn't show up for mediocrity. We still believe that God wants to pour out an end-time revival. And we say, why not us? Anybody feel that way in this place? Anybody show up with an expectation and a lifted standard that says God is still able to do what he said he would do? But in the culture we live in, you see many religious institutions have succumbed to the pressure to lower the standard because they believe the lie that if we can just lower a little bit, if we can just act a little bit more like the world, if we can just do some things that maybe are a little bit different. And listen, you know I'm not talking about being innovative. I'm not talking about the beautiful lights and the great music. All of that is a part of an elevated standard. But what I'm talking about is a casual spirit that walks in and doesn't believe God for what he said he would do because we're afraid of the rejection of what might happen if, if he doesn't do it. Like what if we raise our faith and God doesn't do it? What if we say he can perform a miracle and he doesn't do it? For the fear of that we don't take God at his word. But when I walked into this place today I felt a spirit of expectation. I felt a church that had a raised standard that said you can go to other places and it might not and it might be dry but not in this place. So the answer is not to lower the standard in the church, but to continue to raise the standard high. Because that becomes a beacon of light for a world who is broken and in need. I I read something recently or saw something recently. It was from the MVP, uh, or excuse me, the Hall of Fame uh, baseball coach, John Scalinos. He was 78 years old when he gave a speech to around 4,000 baseball coaches in one room. And in that room, there were little league coaches, there were, they were, there were uh, MVPs, there were, there were Hall of Fame coaches, and he had a wide, wide swath of people that he was giving this speech to. And when he walked out, he had home plate draped around his neck, Pastor Chavis. And they said, what in the world is this man doing? And he asked the question there in that room that day to all of those different coaches from different backgrounds. He said this, how wide is home plate. How wide is home plate? They got quiet a lot like it is right now. Anybody know how wide home plate is? You get bonus points if you know. You're not baseball coaches. Why why should I know? 17 inches. He said it's 17 inches wide. And he said, let me ask you a question. What happens if in Little League your pitcher can't throw over that plate? They don't pitch anymore. He said, what happens in the major leagues if your pitcher can't throw over that plate? They don't pitch anymore. He said, the issue is we live in a culture that thinks in order to accommodate the game that we must widen home plate. He said, but let me tell you something. The answer to having better coaches and better teams is not widening home plate. 
Because it's 17 inches in Little League and it's 17 inches in the Major Leagues. So don't widen home plate. He went on to explain that he believes that the issue with America and the country and the culture that we live in is that people have a tendency to lower their standards in order to accommodate where they're currently at. In fact, this is how he, this is how he ended his speech. He concluded by saying this. If I'm lucky, you will remember one thing from this old coach today. It is this. If we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses and our children to the same standard, if we are unwilling or unable to provide consequence when we do not meet the standard, and if our schools and our churches and our government fail to hold themselves accountable to those that they serve, there is one thing that we have to look forward to. With that, he held home plate in front of his chest flipped it around and revealed a dark black side with these words on it. Dark days are ahead. If we fail to meet the standard, if we succumb to the pressure to change because the message isn't popular anymore. Well, people just don't like to hear it that way anymore. Well, I don't know if we should go to that verse and that scripture. It'd be a lot more convenient to just jump over it. We can't widen home plate. We can't change the standard. The word of God is the standard by which we live. The word of God is the standard by which we preach truth that sets men free. Can I just tell you, if you want freedom in your church, if you want the liberty of the Holy Ghost, you can't find that in a falsehood. You can't find that in an untruth. The only way to set men free is by the power of the truth of God's word. And so I tell you what that coach told them that day. If any church or denomination or institution changes the standard and succumbs to a cultural pressure to be less than what the standard is, dark days are ahead. But I tell you when I walked in today and I'm standing here right now, I'm standing in a church that says, God, not only are we going to preach your word, but we're going to preach it unapologetically because we know that within your word there's power to set men free can I tell you there's some prodigals that are going to walk back through the doors in the next few years and they've got a hard bondage and they don't need a soft message for a hard bondage they need the truth of God's word to set them free and in this place today can I tell you Truth Chapel you're more than great music you're more than talent you're more than good lighting and I'm thankful for all that but this is a truth preaching church this is a church that sets the souls of men's free this is this is a church where addiction has to bow its knee to the truth of God's word this is a church where freedom abounds I feel the Holy Ghost here right now it done gave me a big red towel now somebody get on the organ no don't do that I won't know what to do you say, man, I, I don't know, man. I just feel like, I'm telling you, Devin, the, the pressure is as bad as it's ever been. Just listen to me right now. I'm telling you that, that you think that the pressure is as bad as it's ever been, but that's actually a fallacy. Because some of the churches that were in your Bible, they, they lived in cultures that you would not believe. In fact, when we see, we see Paul addressing this when he talked to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, he said this. It is a peculiar scripture, and I want you to see it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient or helpful for me. 
He said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You see, in the midst of a culture in Corinth that had drastically lowered its standards, Paul was teaching the Corinthian church the important point that the world does not define or dictate the standard of the church. In fact, the church doesn't even define or dictate its own standard. We look to the scripture to define our standards. And the phrase that Paul uses in this verse is so confusing. In fact, if I would have made it my message title today, you would have probably stopped me dead in my tracks and said, listen, we actually wanted Pastor Chavis to preach anyway. So you kind of surprised us today. What if I got up today and I preached this? All things are lawful for you. Or let's put it in our language. You can do whatever you want. You say, come on, that ain't Bible. It is. He said it, not me. And he's the Apostle Paul. I, I, I mean, come on, that's, why in the world would he use that phrase? All things are lawful for me. This is such a perplexing phrase that many commentators believe that the reason Paul used it was because it was the motto of Corinth. You see, the Corinthian church was in the city of Corinth, which was, which was a major metro in that day. It had almost a million people in it. It was the financial capital, but it also had a thriving sex industry. And at the top, this is what many believe, that when you would come into the city of Corinth, at the top of their gates was inscribed, all things are lawful. They marketed themselves as a place that you could go and get away with and do whatever you wanted. You say, I need a little bit more context. Are you ready for this? What happens in Vegas? My God. (laughs) Pastor Chavis, that was too quick, man. Some people are like... God, we need an altar call right now. We have a city that literally markets itself on that idea. This is what many people believe Corinth was. It was saying to the world and the regions around them, if you come to Corinth, you can do whatever you want to do. In fact, what we don't understand is that the time in which Paul wrote this, the emperor in charge was named Nero. And he was a bisexual man who castrated a young boy in public ceremony and then married him. Oh, maybe it has been worse. Maybe the church has thrived in days in an age where it's worse than our current culture. You see, we get in our minds that the church has never faced pressure like this. So how in the world is the church supposed to thrive in the midst of this? Can I tell you, if a day and age like that, the church could continue to thrive. Don't tell me that we're not more relevant than we've ever been. Don't tell me that we can't have revival right here and right now. I know that the days are darker. I know that there's people that are in power that it looks discouraging. But you listen to me the power of God's word is not confined or dictated by where our culture is or who's in charge I'm telling you the word of God is truth and truth will thrive in the midst of the most darkest and worst places and today I'm just speaking to somebody and reminding you that this church is as relevant as it has ever been because it is preaching a relevant and powerful powerful word We look and and we say, man, it's never been this bad. Listen to me. It has been this bad. It's been worse than this. And yet the church 
thrived. In fact, you could even argue that the church ended up thriving. And you can see it as a precedent in Scripture when they were put under the most pressure and the most scrutiny. I'm not telling you that I want to live in a world where there's pressure and scrutiny and, 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 and there's governments against us and people, people hate us. I don't, I'm not asking for that. But what I am telling you is if God, if that's what it takes to bring a true revival, I would rather see revival and be uncomfortable than to be caught up in my comfort and be at ease in Zion. And so, Lord, if you've got to put a little bit more pressure in our culture in order for us to see the baptismal waters stirred even more, in order to see more prodigals come home, I say, God, let that dark day come because in the midst of the darkness, there's going to be a light that shines brighter than ever before. You want to know why the voice of Jesus was so powerful in his day and his time was because there had been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When John the Baptist stood up as the forerunner to Jesus and he spoke, he spoke with a prophetic word in his mouth and the reason that it was so powerful, so powerful that people would literally leave Jerusalem, come out to the wilderness to see a wild man who ate locusts and wore camel's hair around him and listen to him was this. Because he was such a great contrast to what they were currently getting. Jesus asked the question. He said, why did you go into the wilderness in the first place? You know why you went into the wilderness? Because you didn't go to see a man in soft raiment. That's what the governments wear. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees wear. He said, you went out there because you knew you were going to get a loud message. You went out there because you knew it was going to rub your flesh the wrong way. I know it's counterintuitive. And people look and they say, I don't understand how a church like that can be so effective. They don't do everything the way that the current curriculum says you ought to do it. They don't do everything the way that it dictates in the rule book to do it. I'm just here to tell you the reason this church is effective is because when people show up, they know exactly what they're going to get. They're going to get a message that is preached powerfully from the Word of God. And yes, it may rub their flesh the wrong way and there may be conviction in the house but that conviction is going to draw them to an altar so that they can experience a true freedom I'm telling you Truth Chapel don't apologize for raising a standard high that standard is going to set your children free that standard is going to cause them to stand in the day of persecution man I feel the Holy Ghost here you see, Paul understood that there was an alluring spirit in that day, in that time. The spirit says it's okay to do less. It's okay to be less. It's okay to act less. It's okay to go there less. That's, that's the spirit. It's a, it's a casual spirit that says, is it really even worth it? I, I'll just watch from a distance. I, I don't actually, do I have to be in the church to be at church? I'll just watch online. And God bless you if you have a legitimate reason to watch online. Somebody watching online at home right now is, come on, man. I'm sick today. I got the flu. How are you going to do that to me? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about when you wake up and you don't feel like it. And so you, raise, you lower your personal standard enough to go, maybe I can just feed off of the fruit that falls on the ground. That's the spirit. That's what culture will do to you. Because culture says that you, you can have it your way. You, you can do what you want to do. But Paul began to deal with this and he began to work against it. And what he was saying, what I believe, I don't believe that about Corinth. I, I think that's a good a preaching point and a great commentary point. But the fact of the matter is what Paul was saying to them was, no, we're not under the Old Testament dietary laws. 
We, we, can, we can wear uh, you know, certain cloths that are woven together now. Th- those were types and symbols and shadows for, for, for what was to come. And that has been fulfilled through Jesus. So I believe that that's what he was speaking of. But what he was warning them is don't define your standard based on what you can get away with. Define your standard based on what's actually good for you. Because if the base of your relationship with God comes down to this, well, can I get away with it? One of the worst questions you can ask is this. Can I still go to heaven and fill in the blank? What if I walked up to my wife tomorrow and I said, hey, babe, can you and I still be married and I? I'm not even going to fill in that sentence. (laughs) I ain't stupid. You go, what's wrong with you? See, I don't, I, don't, I don't have this relationship with my wife. I don't love my wife based on what I can get away with. I don't try to reach the, the very tipping point or get as close to the, to the line as I can and say, but are you going to divorce me if I do this? That's not what it's about. This is about relationship. I want to be close to you. There's some things that maybe you would let me do, but I just want to spend time with you. I just want to be in this relationship. You see, God's looking for a covenant relationship. He's not looking for a list that you can say, well, can I do this? I won't do No, no, no. Listen, if your heart is right, you're not just asking, well, is it lawful? What you're asking is, is it good for me? I mean, does this make me closer to you? Is it something that you need to, you need to, you need to run your Netflix account through that? You need to run the things that you watch, the things that you do through that mindset. God, is it going to get me closer to you? Because the spirit, a casual spirit will end up destroying you. Will end up taking you away from the presence of God. It will end up putting you in places where you're closer to the edge than you were ever meant to be. But if there's something within you that just says, God, I just want to be close. I just want to draw close. I just want it to be that there's a relationship between you and I. I just feel like God honors that. And he brings you close. And I'm telling you, you're going to be better off for it. I read something recently. I'm going to read it to you. But it's a phenomena that, that sort of illustrates what I'm talking about. And it's called the casualization of America. This is where our culture is at. This was written by Lawrence Samuel. He's a PhD in psychology and he lives near a major university and he published this on psychology today. Hardly a a Christian representation, but but I think his point is true. I don't agree with what his outcome is, but I definitely agree with his observation. And if you need more of a disclaimer, you can talk to my lawyer. (laughs) He says this, In my daily trips to Starbucks, I've noticed a trend. Young people... Wearing pajamas out in public. Sometimes they're complimented by bed slippers. And if so, somebody said, geez. Whoever said that, amen. God bless you. Thank you for that. They're complimented by bed slippers. And if so, usually a specific type. Those warm, fluffy shoes made from suede and adorned with fake fur. You see, I live near a major university. And many jammy clad are students. But I've seen some older adults out and about in outfits that used to be limited to one's bedroom at nighttime or if one was at home sick. The casualization of American fashion was a gradual process, he writes, that goes back many decades. A century ago, men routinely went out wearing black suits, white shirts, ties and hats and even to baseball games in this garb. 
But by the 1950s, dress codes for both men and women had relaxed considerably, reflecting the new suburban lifestyle designed to convey convey comfort and leisure. The counterculture revolutionized dress or undress codes. Of course, and the emergence of casual Fridays in the business culture further pushed suits into the dustbin of history. More recently, the dot-com revolution made shorts and hoodies perfectly legitimate clothing to wear anywhere, anytime, bringing us to today when it's acceptable to go out in public in Star Wars jammies and bunny slippers. But it was COVID-19 that triggered this Betty Buy fashion style, I believe, with working and doing everything else from home becoming literally business as usual. Going out in such an outfit can be seen as making sense for practical reasons and exemplifies the new normal in which pretty much all the rules that used to guide our behavior no longer apply. Some critics have bemoaned the casualization of society, arguing that it has contributed to a decline in civility. I take a different view than such critics who think the casualization of America poor ends the civilization as we know it. I see the trend of where whatever one wants anywhere and anytime one wants as a good thing. As it rejects established norms that confine and restrict behavior. You hear that? Say what you will, he writes, about the aesthetics attached to the Snoopy Long Johns that... Uh, that 20-somethings happen to be wearing at the public supermarket I go to, but they're an expression of freedom and individuality and are thus entirely consistent with the founding father's concept of liberty and self-determination. Wow. That was a mouthful. You say, man, this, this man wants us to wear suits to church. <laughs> you missed my point. That's not my point. And, and if you look nice, you got a suit on or you got jeans on today, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a church that, that, that no matter how you show up, you'll be accepted and welcomed. And I, I love how I see many different standards of dress here welcoming everybody. And I love that. This is a, that's a great, great cultural context. I'm not talking about what's externalized. I'm talking about the spirit that he talked about and he even was a proponent of. Which was, haven't we had enough of people's behavior being inhibited? Isn't it just better if we let people do what they want to do? That casual spirit that has certainly taken over our culture that says your truth is your truth. What's right for you is right for you. And there is no actual standard anymore. The standard that you have, you can self-generate. And even if we don't have the same standard, that doesn't make one true and one false. You You don't think that can come into the church? That absolutely can come into the church. Especially when we bring in a casual spirit of worship. And can I just tell you, you you say, I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure if God really takes it that seriously. I'm telling you, I've got Old Testament and New Testament examples. Think about that one whose name was Uzzah. And if your name's Uzzah in this place today, God bless you. The Bible says Uzzah was walking beside the Ark of the Covenant. And it be, he began to stumble. The oxen began to stumble. And when it did, the Ark began to shake. And, and God had a strict standard, which was men do not touch this because it's the glory of God. Uzzah thought he was doing God a favor. And he reached out. And the moment he touched it, God struck him dead. King David began to to just groan and quake and cry and go, why is this happening? Even went to God and prayed about it. Because we think if our hearts are right, they don't have to line up with the word of God. We think if we sacrifice enough, we can bypass obedience. We think if we check enough boxes, 
then God will just honor that. Listen to me. I'm telling you, obedience is still better than sacrifice. God's still asking a generation, but are you doing it the way my word says to do it? But are you relying on what I've said? You don't even have to understand it. This is eternally settled forever. I exalt my word even above my name, he said. And I'm telling you, God will give you understanding of his word. But even if you get into this word and you see it and it's revealed to you, you may not even have the full revelation of why. But if you've got obedience in your spirit, God will do something for you. God will work in your life. Because you've said, God... I may not understand it, but it's not about my standard. What is your standard? I want to live by what you've called me to live to, even if there's not a full revelation, because in time, what you'll get, you'll, you'll begin to understand. Let me just tell you. Let me just say it like this, okay? There's some things that I do in my home that my five-year-old little boy does not understand. We have a standard for how much candy you can eat. He does not agree with that standard at all. He breaks that standard. He is a sinful son of mine, I will tell you that. <laughs> He's breaking that standard all the time. In fact, I will tell you this, and I, I'm almost finished, but, but you got to listen to me. you got to listen to me right now. You say, why is it important? Because here's what the Bible says. When we're in obedience to God, that's what that first scripture was in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against the enemy. And what we don't realize is that when we lower our standards, we give the enemy an invitation and free access. It's true. You say, why is the enemy just, why am I getting so beat up? The first thing I would tell you to do is a standard check. Where are you at in your life? What are you allowing in? And listen to me, as a, as a parent, as a pastor, as somebody who's in this, I get that this is difficult. I understand that we are living in a culture where you can't even let your kids watch the trailers that come between their YouTube videos. You can keep your eye on it. You turn around and you see something and go, my goodness, what is going on? I feel like every time I, every time I seal one up, there's a leak over here. and I gotta, Anybody feel that way? Is it, just, is it just me or is there some parents in this place that go, man, I feel like the enemy is coming in like what? Like a flood. Everywhere I turn, there's something. There's a teacher teaching something. There's a... Man, some, as, a, as a parent, it's a difficult place. And In fact, we had a moment uh, a few months ago, Pastor Chavis, where uh, my little boy, and I won't name the, the major broadcasting company that has produced it, produced it, that's a good word, produced the majority of our kids' movies. So I'm sure you have no clue who I'm talking about. <laughs> but they produced a movie, and it was supposed to be the fourth one in a franchise, or at least a spinoff of this, this kid's franchise. And about a month before it came out, they released that there was going to be a piece of content in this movie, this kid's movie, that was very much against the standard of our family. And, and, and so my little boy had been so excited about this kid's movie that we had been watching the trailers the year before it came out. He could not wait to watch this movie. And, so, and if you don't agree with me today, God bless you, Pastor Chavis will fix this, fix this later. So, so I, had to, I had to have a conversation with my five-year-old. I had to have a conversation with my five-year-old. And I had to explain to him, I know you've been looking forward to watching this cartoon. To, to, but, but listen, bud, we're not going to be able to watch this. And man, he began to cry. And I was like, listen, buddy, it's just not, we don't watch certain things that have, have certain content in them that we don't agree with. That's against the word of God. I'm trying to put something in my five-year-old without being too explicit and having to explain, which is why I get mad that it's in there in the first place. 
And so he's crying. And I said, listen, buddy, it's because we believe in Jesus. We want to follow him. And, and, and this is a good thing. And, and I start trying to focus on all the good. And he says to me, he goes, Dad, is it because they're bad people and we're good people? And I was like, well, that's a little self-righteous. But, I mean, you're not far off. But, but, but no, no, it's because they don't know Jesus. And Jesus wants to fix them. And they, they're bad people. Yeah, that's it. And so, so he's crying, and I'm trying to fix it. And so here's how we take care of some stuff in our house, Pastor Chavis. We take care of it with humor. And, and so we're crying. He's cry- I'm not crying. He's crying. <laughs> we're cry- Everybody's crying. And he, he says to me, he, he, so we start turning it into a joke. And, and this, this movie would be advertised on a commercial or something on, on YouTube. And he'd go, Dad, I'm watching, that, I'm watching that thing. And I'd go, don't you do it. And he'd laugh and all of that. And, and so that's how we handle things. Is if we try to make it fun. We try to remind our kids of all the good. Even though there's some things we say no to, look at how much we say yes to. And so it was just cool to watch God just kind of put, a, put a, a light spirit in our family. And it got so light that he looked at me one day and he said to me, he said, hey, Dad. He said, you know that movie that we're not supposed to watch? And I said, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. He said, when you die, I'm going to watch it. I was like, all right, okay. Like, when I'm dead, you can watch it. That's fine. Do what you want to do. You have your own standard when I'm dead. It's tough to raise a standard. But can I just remind some parents in this place, some families that despite cultural pressure are raising a standard. What Psalm 60 and 4 says, you have been given a banner and those will fear you that it may display, be displayed because of truth. Colossians 2 and 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made them a spectacle triumphing over them. With what? The banner that he raised against them. Listen to me. You're not doing your children a disservice when you raise a high standard. You're not doing your family a disservice when you raise a high standard. You're not doing your church a disservice when you say, listen, there's just some things we don't do, but I believe that God is raising up a standard in the midst of that that's going to come against the enemy who's trying to come in like a flood, and our families are going to experience freedom because you listen to me. There's going to be some heartache that's avoided because of the standard that you raised. Parents, keep doing what you're doing. Don't be afraid. Parents, keep on standing in the midst of a broken culture. Families, keep on coming to church even when it's not popular. Young people, even if you're the only one serving God in your home, don't stop serving Him. Don't stop lifting the banner high because the enemy wants to destroy you. But in the midst of you raising that standard, God is raising up His own standard against the enemy. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Right now. <laughs> Isaiah 11 and 10. And I'm almost finished musicians. You can be making your way. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. I want you to catch what Isaiah just said right there. Listen to me. I'm almost finished. But the standard that you raise is for more than just you and your family. Yes, you're going to experience freedom. Yes, you're going to keep things away from your children. Listen to me. The greatest way to avoid addiction is to never get the drug. That, that, that's, that's scientifically proven. I didn't just say that because it sounds good. That's the absolute truth. The greatest way to avoid the dysfunction is to keep it out of the eyes and the mind of your child in the first place. 
You're not doing them a disservice. You're actually handing them a life of freedom, a life of peace, a life of joy. Don't apologize because you don't let them go to the same places. Do the same. I'm going to stop. That's enough. That's enough. Somebody say, that's enough. What is that supposed to mean? I'm trying to preach. Just kidding. Listen to me. Hear what Isaiah said, though. I want you to, I want you to catch what he said. He said, people of Israel, children of Israel, the standard that you raise is going to be like a flag for the Gentiles to see. In fact, Isaiah 18 and 3 says it this way. All the inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, when he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you see it. And when he blows a trumpet, you hear it. Isaiah 49 and 22. And Isaiah is making a, it's a progression that's happening. Why is he doing this? Because the children, you got to hear me. The children of Israel are in exile. They're in bondage. There's a brokenness that has been placed on them. There's a yoke and a burden at this stage in, in, in their history. And Isaiah begins to prophesy over them in the Old Testament. But what he didn't even realize is he was not prophesying just of a freedom given to the children of Israel. But he was talking about a revival that would eventually come to the people called Gentiles. Somebody say, that's me. You see, you and I weren't a part of the covenant. But God starts prophesying thousands of years before. And he says, my people, when you raise your standard... Just remember, all the inhabitants of the world. They're going to look. And they're going to be in their brokenness. I said, where's he going? Hope I don't get any feedback. And when the banner is lifted high, it's going to become a rallying point. And I want you to catch what he says in almost the last verse where he mentions this. Isaiah says this, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles. Somebody say, that's us. And set up my standard or my banner to the people. And they shall bring their, thy sons in their arms. And thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Now I started studying that. Pastor Chavis, why in the world... Would God prophesy to the Jewish people that the Gentiles are going to be carrying their sons and daughters? That makes no sense to me. Why would Jewish people, the people of God, why would their sons and daughters be in the arms of Gentiles? But listen, this is what every commentary says. This is what the interpretation literally means. He said, you see those heathens? Those people that don't know me? Those people that are broken? The sons and the daughters that they bring in their arms and upon their shoulders, I'm bringing them to you for the sake of adoption. But they got to know where to go. There's got to be a banner lifted high. There's got to be a rallying point. There's got to be a place that is set above what everything else is set above. And what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to give you people and nations that weren't supposed to be yours. But by the power of my word and by the promise and the prophecy that I'm going to fulfill. You know what he was talking about? Isaiah didn't even know it. He was talking about a revival in the New Testament that started with a man named Cornelius. Where he was just devout, trying to seek God. Who had no promise. Who had no Israeli heritage. Who wasn't a son of Abraham. But in the midst of it, God saw his devotion. And he sent a man named Peter to him. And the Bible says that right there, he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And at that point, you know what? happen is more Gentiles begin to receive the spirit than even those Jewish believers and what I'm telling you today is that there's a harvest and a revival that is already taking place at Truth Chapel and what's happening is there's drug addicts and there's broken people and there's people that are on the brink of divorce they're rich they're poor they're black they're white they're all class all creed and they're bringing their sons and their daughters in their arms And they're saying the world has broken us. We've been ravaged by culture. We've been left empty. But we are looking for a place to go. And you know what Truth Chapel says? Just look up. All you've got to do is look up. Look unto the hills. For your redemption, it draws nigh. There's a church that says, hey, you can come higher. There's a church that says you can leave that low standard of living and God will set you free. There's a church called Truth Chapel right here in this perfect community that God has placed you in that's saying, hey, you don't have to be addicted any longer. You don't have to be broken any longer. And if you walked into this place today and you think that you're on the outside looking in, I say to you, look at the standard. Look at the banner. It's not because of us. It's because of Him. Because I'm telling you, you can look at the people in this room. They used to be addicted. They used to be broken they used to be sin sick but by the power and the redemptive work of Jesus they're living at a higher standard now and I'm here to tell you stand with me if you would you may be walking in and in your hands is a is just shambles of a broken life and your children are prodigals and you're saying I don't know how God's going to do it I don't know if God can fix this. You listen to me. I prophesy in the name of Jesus over anybody standing in this room that God's about to do a redemptive and work work in you like you have never seen before. As I stood here before service, I looked up at that logo, that Truth Chapel logo, and I saw that cross and the roots in the ground. And the scripture came to me and it was spoken by John the Baptist. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And what what was that alluding to? What John said, which is I must decrease so that he can increase. You see what Jesus was talking about when he said, if I be lifted up, what's he going to do? I will draw. What was he talking? The cross being lifted up as a standard. He said, I've got to die. I've got to bleed. I've got to be a broken man for them. But you think it's disgusting and it's broken and it's what's going to detract people. But what you don't understand is the brokenness of my body is actually what will draw them in. And today I'm here to tell anybody that will hear me that no matter where you're at, God is going to draw you in by the redemptive work of the cross. And what you feel in this place is not just meant for a Sunday morning experience, but God is going to transform your life. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head? And would you pray with me right now, God? We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.